Let's pray. Gracious God, as uh, Jenny has suggested to it, it, it is a wondrous uh, thing indeed that you became uh, a human being walking among us, sharing our pain and the experiences that we experience, and even began where we began as an infant. And that this infant and this life of Jesus would be such a bright light in the darkness is a a wonder to behold. Help us to cultivate imaginations of light in the darkness. In your name we pray, amen. When Scottish novelist Robert Louis Stevenson, I think you've heard of him, was a child in 19th century Scotland, the story is told that one night his nanny came into the nursery to put him to bed. She found the little boy looking out intently through his bedroom window outside. When she called to him, he continued staring out into the darkness. So she went over to ask him what he found so interesting out there. As she peered over his shoulder, she saw the lamplighter walking down the street, lighting street lamps one at a time. And little Robert finally responded, Look, Nanny, look at that man. He's punching holes in the darkness. It's pretty good, huh? Punching holes in the darkness. Now there's an image for you. There's something about a light shining in the darkness that is so compelling, I think. My favorite part of the Christmas Eve service is always when we sing Silent Night with our lit candles. And when the lights are dimmed in the sanctuary, the candles shine even more brightly, do they not? Or do they punch holes in the darkness? Indeed, they do, even more so as we consider the gift of a baby to this world and the birth of new possibilities, possibilities that indeed dispel darkness of all kinds. In a very different setting, Heidi and I participated last year in a candlelight vigil. And vigils of all kinds are nothing if not a protest against the darkness by lighting a light. This particular one was following the public displays of racism in Charleston, South Carolina, and people gathered at different locations. This was near Lake Calhoun in Minneapolis. And as we looked around and saw people punching holes in the moral and spiritual darkness, those holes that were filled with light reminded us of what it means to be a human being what it means that humans of every race, creed, and color are made in the image of God, Scripture tells us. For those of us of faith, it reminds us that God chose to be one of us, and it must be said, one of us in Jesus of Nazareth, who happened to be more dark-skinned than light. Around the world, every culture and religion has a celebration of light. And it happens right around the time of the winter solstice, a 
a festival of light, as it were. It is a celebration in defiance of the darkness, literally and in other ways, where lights are used to warm our hearts and to rally our spirits and embolden us to live rightly. When I think back on my childhood, Christmas Eve and the days leading up to it were our annual festival of lights every year. Let me describe it for you, our own version of Festival of Lights. I'm sure you had your own Festival of Light growing up, and you have stories to tell. For us, the beginning was putting up the lights, literally on our house, on the outside, and then on our tree. And of course, once the lights were up, we couldn't wait for it to get dark so that we could see the lights in bold relief surrounded by the winter night. First night is the best. Wow, we did a good job. Look at those lights. Now, no festival is possible without a feast. And once the 24th arrived, our Christmas Eve ritual began with a meal. Now, for most of the year, we, if you're like, if you're like me and our family, eat supper in the light. But eating this meal when it was dark outside always made it more special, more intimate. And that's good because as, as feasts go, the Christmas feast was never quite as good as Thanksgiving, just on the food merits alone. Christmas dinner, though it had some undeniable highlights like meatballs and mashed potatoes, could have used some burritos, I think. It was never a part of the deal. But Christmas uh, uh, dinner always had some misses, uh, too. For instance, there was the annual once-a-year offering of fruit soup, uh, which, of course, has prunes in it and lots of it, enough said. Then there was the dish of cranberries, the, which my mom was always trying to push on us three-quarters of the way through the meal. I can still hear her say roughly three-quarters in, doesn't anyone want cranberries? There's still plenty left. I used to say to my kid brother, yeah, no kidding, there's a lot left. That's because no one's touched them except dad. I think he feels obligated. Then, of course, uh, there was the lutefisk. Any lutefisk people out here grew up with lutefisk? God, God bless you. Lutefisk, lutefisk, which a friend of mine once referred to as fish jello. Now, Lutefisk is enough to scar any child for life, um, which might be why I am the way I am today. Nonetheless, Christmas dinner was still a feast with the whole family, and, and, and the candles that we lit for our meal uh, broke the darkness. So it was always special. The next part of the Christmas Eve celebration was, for my family, the religious part, where we basically had a little church service at home, courtesy of one little devotional book called Christ in Our Home. My brothers and I were well aware that our friends didn't have to endure a church service in their home on Christmas Eve, but we just accepted the fact that our dad was an ordained Lutheran pastor and a church service could break out anytime, anywhere, and Christmas Eve was a certainty. And so we read the Christmas story. We sang hymns. Mercifully, there was no sermon. So. It was tolerable. Now, we all knew, even as kids, that 
this was a sacred time and it was important and all that, but it, it, it did delay the opening of presents, so we kind of wanted things to move along. However, there was this candle lighting ritual that we did as a part of the service where we would each have our own candle, kind of like you have uh, tonight, and then take turns lighting our candle from the Christ candle, a more substantial, solid candle off on the side. And as we lit our candle, each one of us would say, as the devotional book instructed us to, I'm lighting my candle because I want Jesus to light my way. Light it, put it back down. And you know what? Once all those candles were lit right next to the Christmas tree, that was a pretty cool sight. Its significance for us would grow in time. More holes in the darkness. Which brings us finally to the presence, the main event of the night when you're growing up, admit it. Let's, maybe as adults too. Anyone here ever tried to figure out what your presents were before Christmas Eve? Maybe you, maybe you shook one of them to see if you could figure it out, or you just wanted to feel the, the weight of it. Yeah, I see all kinds of people. Yeah, that's, yeah that was me yesterday. Uh, uh, one time, days before Christmas, when uh, uh, no one was looking, my brother uh, even opened some of his gifts prematurely, carefully undoing the tape and gently unfolding the wrapping paper so that he could see what was inside. Can you believe my brother did this? Then he would try to wrap the package just the way it was before so that you couldn't tell that it was open. But that's pretty hard to do, especially when you are gift wrapping impaired. I'm afraid uh, everyone couldn't tell exactly what I had done. I, I mean, what Dave had done. <laughs> I mean, it's Dave, because he's the one who did it, anyway. Anyway, you get the point. So presents were, uh, were pretty important growing up. And while it's easy to beat up on ourselves for being materialistic and consumers and all that, honestly, to see someone excited about the gift that you gave to them or to receive a gift that was really well-considered and thoughtful, well, that is its own form of light, is it not? In fact, these are the basic moves of faith itself. Rece learning to receive unmerited unworthy without our achieving them, gifts from God, many gifts from God, including salvation itself. And then learning to give gifts ourselves out of gratitude and love to those around us. This is how faith works. Our family has grown by two generations now and added in-laws along the way. Our expanded family uh, still gets together for Christmas. Uh, we just did Saturday night. All uh, 30 to 35 of us who are uh, kind of in the area. And when we do, it has much the same rhythm. Now, we've, we've cut out the lutefisk and, uh, and the presents to many people. But as time marches on, nothing stands out more than the candlelight service. This was Saturday night, and that's the daughter of my niece lighting the candle. And there was something else that stood out on Saturday night, uh, unexpectedly. It was me. As I went up to light my candle, my nephew's little girl, Taryn, all of uh, two years old, who hasn't seen a lot of me, blurted out, 
He doesn't have any hair. <laughs> part of the fun, part of the meaning, it's family. Always nice to stand out in a crowd, right? And during the years when we said goodbye to a member of our family, as we have now done on several occasions, the ritual is even more special because as we light that person's candle, in their absence, we experience a connection to our loved one through Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Light has always played such an important role in the Christmas story. And it started right there, the star in the east. It was the light of a very bright star piercing the night sky that led the wise men to Jesus. It was the bright light from the angels that practically blinded the shepherds as they announced the Savior's birth. In John's gospel, it says memorably, a light has come into the world and the world cannot overcome it. When the baby Jesus was presented at the temple, it was Simeon who declared that Jesus was a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Indeed, Bethlehem was a dark corner in the middle of nowhere. When you think about it, the perfect place for a light to shine forth, it was a backwater place in a nation living under the cruel and the oppressive thumb of the Roman Empire, where most people were poor and many were destitute. It was here the light came and shone in bold relief in the form of a God whose compassion led him to become one of us so that, as Jenny put it so well, we would not be separated from God or bear the weight of this broken world alone so that God could even go further and share God's very life with us. And now the truth is, while we have to dim the lights in this sanctuary a little later on to create the contrast with the candles and all, in our world... No one ever has to go out of their way to dim the lights. The longer you live in this world, the more you realize how much, how much darkness this world can generate, huh? Along with the really good stuff, yeah, but darkness. Whether it's personal struggles, like loneliness or shame, or whether it's global concerns, like racism, economic instability in all of its forms, or armed aggression, which is why light shining in the darkness is even more important. Nothing dispels the darkness like God showing up in this world and telling each and every one of us, I am all in with you in this life, in this world, all of you, every one of you, in all of your wonderful diversity, in all of your ups and downs, in all of your joys and despairs, I am with you what Emmanuel means. So as our lives are encouraged by the light that punches holes in our darkness, this same light draws us forward so that we too might be a light for those around us who struggle in the dark. How are you a light for those who are around you? How are you a source of hope, encouragement, and love? A light has come into the world that the darkness cannot overcome. It punches holes 
in the darkness. It testifies to the power of the God of love who is with us, who claims us, who saves us from all forms of darkness, and then sends us. Thanks be to God. May each of you be filled with the light of Jesus tonight and always. Amen.